Uh, today's question is um, about the Great Tribulation, more specifically. So um, we're going to be talking a little bit about the Antichrist and some of that in there, but uh, about the Great Tribulation. And there's some division over the Great Tribulation in the church and the timing of it and things. I just want to tell you right off, the fact of the matter is things are going to get worse. I'm glad I brought the gift of encouragement to us today. Uh, but things are going to get worse, and there's still division in the church and among some families over coronavirus. And um, so there's some family members that don't talk to each other still that I've heard about, and some people and some friends that no longer want to talk to each other. And, and the woke doctrine of our culture got magnified during corona, even more so. And so we've got a whole bunch of stuff going on. The enemy has, has done his best to breach the church and I'm so grateful for you. I know that this is kind of a, a Labor Day weekend crowd, but I'm glad that you're here in church today. Praise God. Uh, and I'm grateful for those that can go camping or whatever. That's good too, right? We need to do those kind of things. That's good. Um, but there has been all kinds of things going on in our country. You know, you remember uh, May 25th, 2020, the death of George Floyd, the riots that were all across America, but it just didn't stay in America. It exploded over UK and Europe, um, all kinds of uh, riots all over places in the world. On April 14th, 2021, how many remember um, the, um, the Iranians announcing they were going to enrich their uranium? And they had gotten from 60% up to 90%, whatever that means. And they were going to we very well have a nuclear power a jihadist country that's close to becoming nuclear. Uh, May 10th, 2021, as you recall, Israel was attacked for about two weeks um, from um, uh, uh, terrorists in Gaza by Hamas and the Islamic Jihad. And it's so funny, I don't know if you remember this, but 10% of their rockets fell back on them. And then of the other 90%, the Iron Dome system that Israel set up uh, destroyed them. Remember, it was like 3,000 rockets in one hour or something like that at one point. It was an enormous amount of rockets that were poured into Israel. And um, what was even funnier is in the news that Hamas was saying that they blame the God of Israel for letting their own rockets fall back on them. So... Uh, to, the, to this day, hum, uh, Christianity is still the most persecuted religion in the world. I didn't know if you knew that. I mean, all over, our na all over the world, um, people are being persecuted for their faith. There are hardly any Christians left in Gaza. Um, it's a real struggle for many Christians to be able to function in Afghanistan, Iran, um, and, in, and in Pakistan. They're heavily uh, persecuted in Indonesia and Malaysia, the largest, densest places of Muslim um, religious countries on the, in the world. So when we look at the world, questions about the Great Tribulation, they're really legitimate. I mean, if we look at Scripture, we see these terrible things happening all around us, but this is exactly what Jesus meant when he uh, explained that the Tribulation is going to be like and, and who the Tribulation is going to be for. And so I know sometimes we come to church on Sunday and we kind of want three points in a poem. You know, hey, pastor, encourage me while I'm here so that I can face life. Well, friends, i got to tell you more and more as we face the days that are ahead, I think the church is going to be less and less in how we as Christians cope with life than it is keeping our forehead and our eyes on Jesus because he's coming back again. And i got to tell you, though, in the middle of that, there's comfort because looking at him gives us solace and peace and hope for the future. Um, 
So when we look at the world, these questions are legit. But is this exactly what Jesus meant when he explained that the tribulation is coming and what it was going to be like and who it's for? So um, there's a lot of confusion sometimes between tribulations and the great tribulation. Sometimes we all have tribulations. How many are alive? Okay, you got tribulations, all right? Pinch yourself, make sure you're alive. If you're breathing, not counting holding your breath, if you're breathing, you're alive. That means you have trouble. Tribulations are nothing new. Pandemics are nothing new. Back in um, the time of the polio pandemic, social workers actually in New York City actually went into homes and took children out of the homes. Now, if there was Facebook back then, could you imagine the riots that there would have been? So pandemics are just one of the many things that Jesus himself characterized in Matthew chapter 24. It says, Jesus answered the disciples and asked for a sign of the end, and he says that take heed that no one deceives you. He's basically saying, hey, look, regarding the end times, there's going to be so much information out there. There's disinformation. There's not good information. Take heed that no one deceives you. He says, for many will what? Come in my name, claiming I am Christ right? And saying that I'm the one and he'll deceive many and, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. And, but don't be troubled, he says. Don't be troubled. See, this is our hope, friends. Our hope and our belief based on God's word is that we're out of here already. That we don't, this, that, you know, we're grateful for God's goodness. So he says, Jesus says, see that you're not troubled. That's sort of like a hello, right? And so like, hey, then he says that all these things must happen. They must happen. He's telling us that these things will happen. He's already seen it. He knows it's going to happen. So it's not for us to say, oh, it might happen. And besides, it's not up to you or me. It's going to happen. So it's not open for discussion. And and what he says, he says, for a nation will rise against nation, right? In the Greek, that's ethnos. That's ethnicities. And it's not necessarily nationalities. It's within a country, different ethnic groups. And that's what we see today in Iraq, in Syria, in Afghanistan, in the Middle East. It's all over. There's these tribes rising up, ethnic group versus ethnic group. We've seen the result of it here in America. Where people are trying to pit people of darker skin color with people that are fairer skinned color. I mean, fairer isn't better. My daughter-in-law, Cream's sister, she's beautiful. And she's uh, Filipino, you know. And she's got dark skin. And I'm like, you know, it doesn't matter what color skin you got, right? It doesn't matter. It, it, uh, what matters is that we belong to Christ. Amen? Amen? So, but it says that there's going to be the, the deception, and we see it, is that people are going to raise up all kinds of trouble. Like people of different color skin or from different locations, from different tribes, are going to war with each other. And then it says kingdom against kingdom. So not just the ethnos or ethnicities. It's going to be like China and USA and Russia and, and empires, right? Against empires. And then he said there will be famines, pestilence, and pandemics, huh? illnesses and diseases and earthquakes and various places and floods and flash floods. Right now, it's unprecedented. If we look at our world right now, it's unprecedented. And so let's take a look at Daniel's weeks. So if you want to have your finger in your Bibles at any places, it would be probably Daniel 9-ish and uh, 2 Thessalonians, specifically chapter 2 more. We're also going to be in Jeremiah 24. 
But those are the two big, the, the first two I mentioned. So Daniel chapter 9, let's go ahead and read it. I know many are familiar with this passage of scripture, but let's take some time to unpack exactly what the prophecy is. Daniel 9 verse 20, Daniel's praying. So while I was still speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel. Notice his prayer and the content of his praying. He is not only praying for himself, confessing his sin. This is a contrition prayer, right? He is petitioning for his nation. Friends, we ought to be this way. We ought to be crying out to God for him to have mercy upon us as Americans in our country and our nation. Um, he says, in presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, O oh, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out. And I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Boy, don't you just love that? You are greatly loved. That God tells Daniel this directly. Daniel is someone who is loving on God all the time. And God's reciprocated. God actually loved him first. It's like Jesus says, Jesus loves us. God loves us first. But that's just amazing. You're greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. So Daniel's relationship is really important. I want to pause here before we go on, but Israel is the key to understanding the great tribulation. It's not necessarily about the whole world. It's not necessarily about everybody else, although they are, they are participating. If we want to really know about the tribulation, the end times, we're going to look at Israel to understand the great tribulation because prophecy regarding the seven-year period was not given to you. It was given to the nations. It, was, it wasn't given to the nations. It wasn't given to the Gentiles. It was given by the archangel to Daniel for Israel regarding the nation of Israel and the city of Jerusalem. That's who it was specifically given for. So Daniel says 70 weeks are determined, and that's what the angel is telling Daniel, that your people for the holy city um, to finish transgression, to make an end of... Uh, uh, um, to, to, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation um, for iniquity, to bring everlasting righteousness. So you see the great things that are going to come, that will come because of the great tribulation, is not for nothing. There is a purpose that's coming for the great tribulation. It's not just to hurt the world. It's not only for that. It's for something much greater uh, for us, especially. In verse number 24 of Daniel 9, he introduces two princes. And these princes are crucial concerning the tribulation. Verse 24, 70 weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city. So prior we learn and we understand that the weeks are years. So they're weeks of years. Seven days are seven years. Okay, get that through, through, through your mind so that you can better understand this. Uh, to put an end to, uh, to finish transgression, notice what it's for. To finish, uh, excuse me, to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity. Wow, that's a, that's, we're going to go back to that. To bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. 
Verse number 25, Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore, take note of this, from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of the anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in troubled but in a troubled time. And after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince, different prince, so there's the prince who is Jesus, who was cut off, but then there's a people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. That's the Antichrist. We'll talk about him in a minute. Its end shall come with a flood, or like a flood is a better translation, and to the end there shall be war, desolations are decreed, and he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week or seven years. This is the Antichrist is going to do this. Um, and for half of the week, three and a half years, 1260 days, he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abominations shall uh, come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. And then he says uh, to see the vision and the prophecy and to anoint the most holy one. So uh, we'll get into that as well. But so to, to kind of put this in perspective, explain it to me as, you know, Ricky would say to Lucy, explain it to me. Here's the amazing part and perhaps a string for your harp. That from the going forth of the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince comes into the city. That's what the scripture says right here in Daniel. Some translations say the anointed one. It means the Christ, Yeshua, Jesus, okay? So the Prince is Jesus, not the Antichrist, this first one that he's talking about. And it says he will come there and it will be 62 weeks exactly. Now, and the temple of Jerusalem will be rebuilt. So the prophecy that Daniel received is from the archangel um, and then later to all of us. And it's amazing here because we see the exact number of years that have to pass from the moment the decree was given to rebuild Jerusalem. So remember, Jerusalem was, or Israel was displaced in 400 B.C. So just going through Bible history a little bit, the Babylon came in, overtook Jerusalem, uh, hauled off other people, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you mean the whole story, right? So he carries them off, and then they're allowed to return home because the Persians came over and took over Babylon, and they let all the Jews go back home. So all the Jews go home, right? And they're all back to Jerusalem, and they settle back again, and, you know, they rebuild their lives. Well, then the Roman emperor in 70 A.D., Titus, comes in, totally raises the Temple Mount. I mean, he just destroys the place and hauls them off uh, to Rome. Well, this time they're not just taken captive just to Persia or Babylon. They're taken to Rome and then they're allowed to go and they scatter all over the world. So they have not been a nation since 70 AD. They have not been together since they, they were under Roman you know, governorship anyway nonetheless loosely but then when they were finally decimated they were allowed from all over the world they've been coming back home and the first time Israel was announced as a nation was in 1948 
They haven't been a nation until then, recognized by the world leaders. This is all a fulfillment of prophecy. So anyway, but what's so profound about this is that it's 69 weeks. So Daniel says 69 weeks from the time the decree is given to the time that uh, Messiah enters Jerusalem, seven weeks of years, and it's not 365 days, it's the lunar calendar. We Americans like 365. We messed up everything. I don't know why we did that. Anyway, the lunar calendar is 360 years. Okay, so that's the lunar calendar. So seven times 360 years is set 173,880 days to the day from the moment the decree was given by Artaxerxes all the way to the entrance of Jesus riding into the city, it was to the day. Drop the mic. <laughs> Praise God. It's just one more thing we see about Scripture that God fulfills. So 173,880 days, 69 weeks of years, and then he says Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. This part is so powerful. In other words, he's coming into the city not to rule and reign for himself. He's coming to make an atoning death. Why atoning? Because it's not for him. This time, the first time, this time when Jesus came, he came because he died for you and I. Because the reason for the prophecy was to make an end to sin. He fulfilled the requirements of sin for us that we could become the righteousness of God. This is the goodness of our God who loves us so much that he fulfilled prophecy by shedding his own blood, that he gave his life for us so that we could know him and, and walk with him, the Lamb of God. What a precious thing. He's not dying for himself, or he didn't. He, he didn't do anything to deserve death for himself. Then there's another prince, and the Bible says, and the people of the prince. So some translations call him a ruler, Nonetheless, it's a different prince who is to come. Verse 26b says, And the people of the prince who is to come and destroy the city and the sanctuary, its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. So Daniel says, look, Jesus had to come. Jerusalem has to be destroyed afterward. And after Jesus is dead, and the temple will be gone. And that's what happened. And the future from the same area, from the revived Roman Empire, will come to destroy the temple and the city. And that people, that prince will come, that Antichrist will come and destroy, um, cut it off again, cut off the sacrifice. At the end of that war, desolation is determined. That prince of the big empire, that leader of a future Roman Empire, he, future tense, shall confirm a covenant with many for one week, week of seven years. So Daniel said the seven years are still in the future. They're still to come. They haven't happened yet. Actually, there's some people in the church that believe we're living in the tribulation now. No, that's not right. Um, and that's the future. It's about future. The tribulation is still a lot about future Israel. And, that, and that's what it is. So in verse number 27, Daniel 9, And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week, and for a half a week he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall 
uh, come one who makes desolate until the decree is poured out on the desolator. What does that mean? It says, in the middle of the week, at three and a half years, he'll bring an end to sacrifice and offerings. He's going to allow it at first. He's going to make a pact with, with Israel. Um, he's uh, most likely, he's a Jew himself. In other words, it has to be a future time where there is another temple standing in Jerusalem. So in those seven years, he's going to deceive Israel for three and a half years, chummy chum, buddy buddy, and will stop their worship at the halfway point and set himself up as God. So Israel's got to be back in their land, okay? Jerusalem must be back in their hand, and the temple must be standing. Is the temple standing? No. It's yet to happen. And look at 2 Thessalonians. Um, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 1. He writes, Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus and our being gathered together with him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by spirit or spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us, to the effect that the day of Christ, the Lord, has come. Check it out. Fake news even then. They had, what had happened? Somebody, you know, took a backdoor way into Paul's laptop. They got his files on the thing, and, and so it sounded like him, and they emailed it to everybody. So they sent letters, in fact, some trying to deceive. And this is pretty amazing. They're trying to deceive the people and get them all up in arms. And then what, what do you do? By fear, you can control people, so that's their purpose. I mean, ultimate end of everything with mankind is all about money. So uh, remember um, what we've been saying. These things must happen, and we can't mix the order of things. It's important. We don't let them tell you. Paul is saying don't let them tell you that Christ has already come. And it's just like today. People are saying the similar things. Verse number 3, 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 3. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. He says, hey, don't let anyone deceive you. By any means, for that day will not come until what? The second coming of Jesus cannot be before the great apostasy first. There's going to be a pulling away from the knowledge of God, rejection of God. And there's going to be a rise of the Antichrist. And there's a ridiculousness about this in our culture today. We see it in every angle, on every news, every YouTube the wokeness doctrine has, has, has taken over the ideologies of our politicians to where the things that we thought were ridiculous a generation ago, they're being touted as policy in our country. And many more things, friends, are still coming. And you hear, you're hearing them. And you hear them every time you shake your fist at the television or hear it somewhere. You're screaming. They can't hear you, but you're screaming anyway. You know? because I know you are because I do. You know, I guess maybe. I don't know. Maybe you don't. But it says that man of sin will that man of sin will be revealed. That's the Antichrist, the son of perdition, 
He says, who opposes, exalts himself above all that is called God or all that is worshipped so that he sits in the temple of God and proclaims himself to be God. So believe it or not, the Jewish people will build the temple. This is going to happen. There's, as we talked about before, there's been an agenda or plan for this for years. There's been actually five, eight years ago, uh, Jewish rabbis and people praying at the Dome of the Rock there in Jerusalem, which years ago they would have been arrested, but they're allowed to gather there now. There's a cooperation. And the new Israeli leadership um, is, is trying to bring all these things together and acceptance and tolerances of things. And so the very thing that we consider a curse is actually opening the door. The wokeness is opening the door. I got to believe that God's going to use wokeness to open doors for us. He's going to give you opportunities to talk to people about Christ like you never imagined before. Believe it or not, the Jewish people will build the temple. It's going to be in Jerusalem. A world leader that maybe will be one who will allow them to, he's going to be one that will allow them to build the temple. And maybe perhaps at the inauguration of this place, that's when he goes in, maybe, and he proclaims this. And the Bible says they're going to realize what's happening and they're going to start fleeing. He's the Antichrist. He's not the Christ. So Revelation 13, if you want to turn there, follows what Daniel sees in the previous revelation. In Revelation 13:1, John sees this vision and he writes and he says, I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven, uh, he- uh, and seven heads with ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. Let's not dissect this right now. We've done that in the past. But verse 2, And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear, and the mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it the dragon gave his power, um, his throne, and great authority. So Satan has uh, to have some sort of complete rule, right? He... He's going to have control over everything. And so because um, God's people are gone, the world's going to give it to him. And he will give him power and authority. And he's talking about um, Satan giving uh, the Antichrist authority and then the, the, the false prophet. It's interesting there will be a false prophet here, which many think could be a, a religious leader in our world today. The religious leaders are uh, the main one, uh, sits in... Italy, and he sits right there, and this has been being said for years. It's, of course, speculation to some degree, but if it were to happen today, we see uh, the, the policies of that certain religious group bending to conform to the woke ideologies, the doctrines of our world that's going on right now, and very easily could be the one to introduce or unify all religions. It's interesting that there will be this false prophet. And, and maybe, but the Bible says, I saw another beast coming out of the earth. That means he exists. He is going to exist. It's not like something new. And he says he has two horns like a lamb. Don't you find that interesting that he's re- religious in, exper- in uh, what he looks like? I mean, th- this is really fascinating. It's always true what God creates, Satan counterfeits. Everything we see happening with the coming of the Antichrist is a duplication or a copycat of what Jesus has already done. God establishes his goodness and his peace and his power, and the world establishes uh, wokeness and acceptance of it and diversity. Not that we love everybody, right, as Christians? 
But we certainly know that all those things, those sinful things going on in our world, are things that we're called to be apart, uh, away from, apart. Not, why do they call apartments apartments when they're together? I never really, well, anyway, I digress. I've heard some doctrines from religious groups in the world, and I know you have too. There's a lot of them. But this religious leader speaks, and he exercises the authority of the first beast, and in his presence, he causes the earth and all that dwell in the earth at that time, this is during the tribulation, to worship the first beast, the Antichrist. Um, the Antichrist will experience a miraculous healing, a deadly wound was healed, the Bible says. And so we're talking about a world where there's a political figure, where there's a religious leader, and this leader is basically giving the religious authority, the re religious stamp of approval on the beast, the Antichrist. So one world government, so why not a one world religion? So trust in governments is at an all-time low. Amen, Pastor. Amen. Okay, we understand that. Our own president is not even loved by his own party. He's not trusted by most Americans, according to polls. And although we pray for him, it's not just America, though. It's in the U.K., it's in France, and the Netherlands have gone nuts. Um, Belgium, the Scandinavian countries, now even Israel. So they have a government of change. What a change, right? Um, stop trusting governments. If you're trusting governments, stop it. And that's what's happening in Australia. Look at what's happening in Australia and Canada. It just, I mean, these are countries that we would have thought were, you know, very much similar to America, but the values of America are so declining, we're becoming more and more like all these other countries. And it's terrifying. And this system of government that's going to be in the world that, like we saw re in recent years in Australia, of control, or in a place where you would have thought would be such freedoms, is coming everywhere. And people are going to get fed up with that. People are going to get tired of that going on in the world. And they're going to look for something different. They're going to look for a change. And, and just before everything falls apart, just before everything seems hopeless, out comes this one guy who's going to have these answers in his pocket. And he's going to unify the nations around Israel and Israel. I, I don't believe, really, that... You know, I believe that this prophecy concerning that is dedicated, and some, most of it's dedicated just to that region, okay? Although the whole world is involved at some, to some degree and as, as, a, as the plagues move on and things. But Revelation 13, verse number 13. So... It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven and earth in front of people. And by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell. And he's talking about the false prophet on the earth, telling them to, make the to take the sword and yet live, uh, who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might speak. It might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. Also, it causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or forehead, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. That is the name of the beast, the number of his name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of, his, of the beast, for it's the number of man, his number is 666. Um, we're not there yet. Praise God. Right? Praise. According to the Bible, we're not supposed to be here. And I say, according to the Bible, 
2 Thessalonians 2.5, uh, don't worry about this. And we're not supposed to be here. And I can hear Paul saying this, right? Don't you remember? I mean, can't you hear him? Maybe in a little Yiddish. Don't you remember? I don't know. So that when I was still with you, I told you these things. And that you know what is restraining him so he may be revealed in his time. There's a restrainer right now in the world. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains, restrains, it will do so, keep restraining, until he, the restrainer, is taken out of the way. Verse number 8. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus Christ will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. So there's a couple of big things first. What is lawlessness? So the law of God is being referred to by the Bible because the Bible always refers to itself. It defines itself. Lawlessness means disobedience to God in every possible way. And don't we see this in our culture today? When, when Jesus says the spirit of Antichrist is already present, all we got to do is look down the alleyway in Parkland and we see it. All we got to do is look around at the supermarket and we see it. All we've got to do is, is just live and breathe in this culture and world that we live in today. And then it says, um, he, the second thing, capital H, who now restrains, will do so until he's taken what? Taken out of the way. So something stops the rise of the Antichrist right now and complete satanic rule on the earth, on the world. It's the restrainer. Now, the only body or temple, that's the Holy Spirit, but the only place the Holy Spirit dwells and fills is you and me. We are the temple of God. And we're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit in the next weeks ahead. I'm trusting God that he'll fill us with his spirit and abundant life. Woo! Amen. Praise God. Yeah. Be ready. Be prayed up. Come early for prayer. Prayer every Sunday morning right here at 9 a.m. So the Holy Spirit in us. So we are taken. The Holy God doesn't take the Holy Spirit out of us. Oh, I'm just going to leave him down there. He doesn't. But the church is taken out. If you take out 350 million evangelicals in the world, out of 7 billion, it's not much of a percentage. I mean, what is that? 18%? I don't know. Somebody could, somebody's on their phone right now figuring that out. I have no idea what that is. It's not even that much, is it? It's not much. But we look at that, and that's just the evangelical Christian. I mean, I don't know. God's the judge, right? The Bible says if you believe in Christ, you're saved. Believe. Trusting in him, putting him in priority of your life. But the only body, the only place that he dwells, the Bible says Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to dwell and live in us. That means, friends, that we are taken out of here. He must be taken out of the way. So the church is taken out. And this whole place is left in the Antichrist can rise because there's a restrainer. The church, your very presence as being a child of God, you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. And God is in you. And as we gather here today and we worshiped and we sang songs and we prayed for one another, we sensed his Holy Spirit. 
We can feel him even right now. You know he's working in you when you walk out the door and, and your life is confronted with all kinds of ways to compromise and you resist. The Holy Spirit is walking with you. The Holy Spirit is in you. He gives you purpose. He gives you life. He gives you counsel. He gives you comfort. He is the one that draws you to salvation. He is the one that gives gifts to the church. You see where we're going the next few weeks? The Holy Spirit is in you, friends. 2 Thessalonians 2.8. So we're out of here. Goodbye. 2 Thessalonians 2.8. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. Hallelujah. <laughs> Verse 9, the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders. Remember he counterfeits? Well, God creates Satan counterfeits. Everything. Verse 10. And with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not, past tense, believe the truth but had pleasure in righteousness. For this reason... God is not a God that says, gotcha, you're going to hell. Right? He is not willing that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. But this time of grace where God has given his son before the tribulation, what he says right here is those of us who are hearing during this time of grace before the rapture, and we reject Jesus because we've heard and we reject him, when we move into the tribulation, God himself will give us a strong delusion so that we won't come to Christ. Even though we had the knowledge of him during this time of sitting in church by Jennifer. That's what the Bible says. That's a powerfully terrifying thing. I said this last week, and I still say it. And I say it to everyone that watches us online, which is at times a lot, during the week and whatnot. If you have not believed in Jesus and trusted him with your life and laid down all of your wants, all of your passions, all of your desires, your kitchen sink, and you haven't come to God and said, God, Everything is yours. My life is now yours. If you have not done that, I plead with you. Give your life to Christ Jesus. Don't delay. Don't let pride get in the way. Don't say, I don't like Pastor Pete, so I'm not coming to Christ. Well, I was going to use myself, but... <laughs> right? I don't like the messenger, so I'm going to resist the, the message what tragedy, what blindness, what, what fallacy. Don't be there any longer. I plead with you, if you haven't made that commitment to Jesus, do so. Don't wait. There's no time to delay. Are you hearing me through all my jokes and silliness? I hope you hear this. Jesus is coming. And the generation that sees the beginning of the end will see the end. The generation that saw the formation of Israel as a nation wasn't that long ago. Don't delay. We can't cheapen the significance 
of the Great Tribulation. What is the Great Tribulation? Here's the definition. It's a set of events considered to be God's judgments on the satanic hosts of heaven, the wicked people still dwelling in the earth, and to prepare Israel to accept Jesus as Messiah upon his return. There's a difference between the rapture of the church and the return of Christ to the earth, of course. When the rapture of the church happens, Jesus never sets foot on the, on the earth. It's the rapture of the church. And when Christ returns, we are with him seven years later. So there's a difference there. The, in Scripture, the Great Tribulation is referred to as three titles. The Great Tribulation, it's called the Day of uh, Jacob's Trouble. Do I have this up there? I just lost my place on my notes. Okay, no, no, that's not it. I'm sorry. Um, it's called the Great Tribulation, of course, the Hour of Trial and the Time of Jacob's Trouble. And that's for specifically referring to Israel. Um, the Day of the Lord has three layers. First, God's dealing with Satan and his demons. So God brings judgment there. Then God's dealing with the nations and then God's dealing with Israel. I think I have that. I'm sorry I lost you there, Todd. I, I skipped a, a big segment. I, so the day of the Lord has three layers. Um, yeah, go back. <laughs> sorry. Has three layers. First, God's dealing. I think this is in your notes, so I want to get it. First, God's dealing with Satan and demons. Secondly, God's dealing with the nations. And three, God's dealing with Israel. So... It's a span of seven biblical years. It can be clearly seen through the scriptures according to Daniel. It's going to be the 70th week, namely biblical years of 360 days, exactly 2,520 days. Why are these numbers so important? I'm not there yet. I'm sorry. You need to back up. I, I messed you up. So why are these numbers so important? These numbers are important because those who say that the rapture can happen in the middle of the tribulation would actually know when it would happen. So a mid-tribulation idea is kind of wrong because the beginning of the tribulation is well known by the world because the Antichrist has risen to power and establishes a covenant with many nations. He's going to be a popular world figure. So those, then no one knows the day or the hour when the Son of Man comes. So it's not possible. And, and so, because we know the exact time of the tribulation, the midpoint, 1260 days, the full is 2520 days, um, after it begins, the rapture would happen. And what did Jesus say? No man knows a day or hour. So the same is true for those who say the rapture is at the end of the great tribulation, right? They would know the day. No one knows a day or the hour. Rapture is at the end of the, uh, rap is, is really, at the end, is really, really doesn't make sense because what the marriage supper of the Lamb is supposed to take place. So what? The church age is finished at the rapture. The church age is done. The way that God saves people during the tribulation of millennial reign, completely different way. I mean, this time of grace right now, this is unique. So here we have this time that we're living in, and then we're taken up to heaven, and then if, if it's at the end of the tri great tribulation, what do we do? Have a marriage, and then we hurry up and come down and go to the battle of Armageddon? It's like we're bungee jumping up and coming back immediately. 
makes no sense. Um, Jesus went to prepare a place for us. And he's going to prepare a place for us. Plus, when we get there, we've got a wedding to attend. We're the bride. Hallelujah. Uh, so Isaiah talks about this. Isaiah chapter 24, verse 21. It says, In that day the Lord will punish the powers in the heavens above and the kings on the earth below. They will, they will be herded together like prisoners found in a dungeon. They will be shut up in prison and be punished after many days. Wow. Joel, in addition, is amazing in his two-layer description of the end times and what's coming later. In chapter 1, he writes, has anything ever happened like this before? Nothing in the history of the world. Or 2,700 years ago, he wrote, even in the days of our fathers. Um, then he describes the day of the Lord for Judah coming in. And in verse 15, Joel goes beyond, and he, he's talking about a future generations. He says, the future generations, the day of the, Lord for, uh, day of the Lord for Israel, an invasion of the locust-looking army. And then in Jeremiah chapter 30, verses 5 to 7, uh, he says, Alas, for that day, the day is great, and none is like it. The day of the Lord is good. He's saying, you've seen nothing yet. All these scriptures say the tribulation, you've seen nothing yet. He says the Holocaust will pale in comparison to what you've seen. The torturous times that Jews have seen over the years, but look at this promise that he gives at the very end, and it is the time of Jacob's trouble. And this is what he says, but he shall be saved out of it. In other words, Israel will be saved out of it. And how can that be? So the great tribulation is not without purpose. God has purpose. So here's the three purposes. First one, the great tribulation is to judge the satanic beings in the earth. Isaiah 27.1 says the day of the Lord with his, uh, with his hard and great and strong sword will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent, Leviathan, the twisted serpent, and he will slay the dragon that is in the sea. All those satanic creatures, they're real. All the, uh, the satanic hosts, God's going to punish them on judgment day. And the great tribulation, secondly, is to punish the nations of that time. In Joel 3, as I just mentioned, but it says, Behold the days at that time when I bring back the captives of Judah and Jerusalem. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. And I will bring them down the valley of Jehoshaphat, and I will uh, enter into judgment with them. There and they count of my people, my heritage, Israel, for they have scattered me among the nations and they divided up my land. What are they trying to do today still? Divide the land. So God's going to punish the nations for hating Israel and harming them. How could, even, how could believers hate Israel? I have Christian people that I know that every time something comes up with Israel on the news, they're all for the other nation. You know what it is. The other country. They should just let them take over. I mean, I hear it from them. And then it's like, that's not what's going to happen. That's, you know, there's, a, there's a somebody on Israel's side. It's called God. And it's a little bit lopsided. <laughs> the great tribulation finally is for the salvation of Israel. As for Israel, this is Jacob's, the time of Jacob's trouble. This is the purpose of the tribulation. And there will be a day when Israel will understand that man-made religion and traditions that they've had, their Jewish customs, will all fail. 
And there will come a time when Israel will understand the Torah. They will understand the interpretation of it and the Mishra and, and the, 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 the uh, Midrash and the, what's the other one? Um, the rabbis, the rabbinical scholars, will all their eyes will be open to the realities of Christ. And that's why the tribulation will turn their thinking. They're going to flee at three and a half years during the tribulation when uh, the Antichrist cuts off their worship. And they're going to realize even beforehand, they're going to get a sense this guy's not telling the truth. And they're going to have to flee the city. Hosea chapter 5 and verse 15 says, I will return again to my place until they acknowledge their guilt, <laughs> Israel, and seek my face, and in their distress, earnestly seek me. Only when Israel will suffer affliction will they finally earnestly seek God and not play religion any longer, not play tradition any longer, and they're going to be saved. They're not going to be saved by their deeds, no matter how many mitzvahs, and, and they, they can be saved. They will be saved. They'll recognize that they will not only be saved by affiliate, just by being affiliated as a Jew. They're, they have to understand that no one comes to the Father except through Yeshua, Messiah, Jesus. No one. Jeremiah, as I quoted earlier, is a great day that, like none other that said before in the history of the world. But in Daniel 12 and verse 1, look close at what he says. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince, who is in charge of your people. So Gabriel's like... He works for the United Nations. Michael kind of works for Israel. Like, Anyway, not very funny. Um, and there shall be a time of trouble, such as never has been since the nation till that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. Now, Gabriel tells Daniel about Michael because... Michael is the one for Israel, and I mean, are we really seeing this? He says, all genocides that Israel went through, everything that they have gone through pales in comparison to what's going to happen to them during this time. Um, God's going to bring the Jews to their knees. And this, here's the key, what, what, um, what he says, even to that time and to the time of your people, shall you will be delivered. And Daniel re receives a bomb here, though. He says, everyone whose name was not found written in the book. The book of life. Who is written in the book of life? Believers in Jesus. Followers of Christ. Those who recognize him as Savior. The book of life must mean they will have had to accept the Messiah. The Messiah who has come. And many people don't understand the severity of the tribulation. I mean, it's... It's the, the seven seals, seven trumpets, the Antichrist, uh, false uh, rise to power, famine, death in the earth, 144,000 sealed, earth and heaven shaken, the world over 2 billion people are killed, the death of the fourth of the population, silence in heaven, a third of the, the grass and the sea will be destroyed, a third of sea life ships destroyed, a third of fresh water, a third of the sun, moon, and stars darkened. If that's not enough, the demonic locusts? The Bible calls them demonic locusts come, and this is what they look like. They, I don't know what they look like. They look like an Apache. I'm not sure what they look like. So two prophets preach, and they do miracles. Christ's reign is foreseen, but then comes the seven bowls. It gets worse. We have boils everywhere on our skin, and all sea life is destroyed. All water and planet Earth are poisoned. Scorching sun hit the people. They can't escape it. They'll, 
They'll have sun burned and they can't escape the sun no matter what they do. I mean, people will be burned from the sun. Deep darkness, rebellion, rebellious mankind. They curse God still, still. They call for the rocks to fall on them. Hide us from the face of the one. But they don't repent. Euphrates rivers dry, the battle of Armageddon, worldwide earthquake, Babylon's destroyed, huge, huge hailstones. I mean, it's just real apocalypse stuff. But none of this has happened. This is the judgment of God, the day of the Lord. The good news is it'll happen after the righteous are taken away. I want to, I don't want to read this. At, um, I, I, I just, I don't want to beat a dead horse with some of these things. You, you know what it says. Um, 1 Thessalonians 5.9 God has not appointed us to wrath He has not appointed us to wrath but that we obtain salvation through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that whether we're awake or we're asleep we'll live together with Him the early fathers from the, from the second century believed the rapture before the tribulation they wrote about it why? because they saw the confusion in God's people in the church they wanted to write against the heresy of their day 2 Thessalonians 2.7 tells us that we'll be kept from the hour of trial that's to come on the whole world. Who will be kept from the hour of trial? Who will keep us from the wrath of God? God himself will keep us. This is important because there are things, things are not going to get better. See, I told you I had to get to the encouragement. One final thought, though. Isaiah 46, 9. I don't think this is in your notes. God's speaking about himself and what he will do and what his justice is. He says, I am God, there is no other. I am God, there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning, from ancient times not yet done, saying my counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish my purpose. God has a purpose for it. And I hope that was thorough enough for those asking about the tribulation, because it was a lot. I know it was a lot of scripture, so that's why the handout, I encourage you to watch it online if you want to, and unpack it, have discussions, and pray. But the main thing is that we believe in Jesus. Come on, Pam, would you? Let's close in prayer. And um, that believers are kept from the hour of trial that's coming on the world. I don't say that just because I want to, because I don't want to face tribulation, which is also true. But I say that because that's what the Bible says. It seems to indicate strongly. And I used to joke with people saying, if you're pre-trib, mid-trib, or post-trib, it's the pan theory. It'll all pan out in the end. Um, but I hope there's some clarity in the scripture here that, that is a compelling thing for you. And then more than anything, that we are uh, worshipers of the Lord, and we want to follow him with our whole life.